Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. We continue our Timeless Truth series. It is a joy and a privilege to have a special guest with us this morning. Um, we, we go back several years, and I've, as I've watched God use this young man, um, especially over the last 18 years, uh, moving from some different churches where God used him mightily. God called him to the Tulsa area uh, in about 2003, um, stepped into a, a, a small church, and basically just started all over, and uh, kind of with an intentional plan, and that church sort of went away, and the church at Battle Creek was formed, and over these last 18 years, uh, God has used him in a mighty way to, to reach uh, the Metro Tulsa area, not just on a campus, but on multiple campuses. Um, and so even as they've expanded, his heart for church planting and missions and evangelism has just exploded that area, not just with their campuses, but now they have a campus in Cairo, Egypt, and another one over in Jordan. Uh, God has just been using him in such a terrific way, and what a privilege to have him with us. Um, one of the neatest things about this guy is his wife, Meredith. Um, we would have loved to have her. Um, uh, we we want to pray for his church this morning as they've had major roof damage uh, on their campus and they've, they've been a little bit displaced on their main campus. And so uh, we are certainly praying for the church at Battle Creek as they uh, gather this morning in Tulsa. Uh, but Southbridge, uh, what a joy and a privilege to welcome my dear friend. Would you just make him feel welcome, Dr. Alex Hamaya? Can we pray for you and your church back in Tulsa please, really please. fast before yeah. we gather? Father in heaven, as we dive into your word, I, I thank you for Alex. I thank you for his ministry. Pray that you will use him here in the life of our church mightily this morning as you speak through him. Uh, but Lord, we pray for his church family. I know part of his heart is there this morning too uh, with his family and his extended church family as they gather on multiple campuses displaced this morning. Father, I pray that you would just meet them in a mighty way this morning. Uh, even in his absence, uh, Lord, would you just through the power and presence of your spirit gather with your body in Tulsa this morning and just speak mightily to them. Uh, Father, thank you for this faithful servant. I pray that you speak through him this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dave. It's uh, good to be with you. And uh, I do covet your prayers. In fact, we are facing probably the greatest challenge I've, I've faced in the last 18 years at, at our church in, in Tulsa. And uh, people, uh, contractors and, and attorneys have been discussing numbers like $50 million to fix our campus, uh, our main campus, where about 40% of our church attends. And, and so we took 4,000 people and went portable uh, last week in, into a high school and, and are trying to figure that with about four days' notice on, on trying to figure that out. Portable churches, somewhere between three months and a year it, it takes to plan it. And we gave our teams four days. Uh, to figure it out and move. And, and had, had Dave not been the one that invited me, I would have stayed in, in Tulsa uh, this weekend. Uh, Dave and Leslie and I, we, we were figuring it out last night. We go back like 30 years. 
and uh, I was a college kid, and my wife Meredith, at the time we were dating, and Dave and Leslie took us in, and uh, we spent a lot of time in their home and, and went to eat with them on a regular basis, and, and quite honestly, God used them to change the trajectory uh, of our lives and our ministry, and we're extremely grateful uh, for them. They, they, they are relational to the nth degree, and uh, they walk in faith, and they love the Lord, and, and so uh, God has used them and is continuing to use them. And I watched even last night in their home while they had uh, a, another couple in, in their home and, and just used their home uh, to watch God do incredible things. And typically, my first time in a church as a guest, I would share my testimony and I would make you laugh, and I would build a bridge and draw you in, but I actually am not going to do that today. You have to have me back if you want to hear my amazing testimony. But, but, but uh, I really feel led by the Holy Spirit today to jump into uh, uh, Old Testament passage, 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you got your Bible, jump there, and uh, let's look at this text today. This, is, this Old Testament text is probably the greatest known of all of the Old Testament texts. Maybe it's the greatest known of all the Bible stories. Uh, as Nikki said earlier, this is the story of David and Goliath, and, and that phrase is used everywhere in our culture, uh, in, in sports, in Olympics, in business, uh, all, all kinds of places. People who don't know God or love God, that don't know God's Word, don't know the story of David and Goliath, uh, use the phrase David and Goliath. And, and uh, what I want you to see today is, is these Old Testament stories are not just stories, but they're types and shadows. They're, they're types and shadows of what God would do in the New Testament and, and what God would do in the, new, in the church era and, and what God wants to do in our lives today. And here, here's the main reason that that is true is because uh, you are not a physical being with temporary spiritual experiences. You, you are a spiritual being with temporary physical experiences. That, that you are a spirit. That's who you are. That, that passage uh, that, that Nikki quoted earlier uh, about the sword of the spirit, the sword of the word of God is able to discern between the soul and the spirit it is an amazing truth when you think through that. that, that you are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. And, and your soul, most clinicians would call your mind, your will, and your emotions is different from your spirit. That's why David on a regular basis would, would pray. Uh, I, I will praise you, Lord. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, praise you. That is his spirit coming out in front into the driver's seat, telling his soul what to do. And there are moments we have to do that, by the way. You're like, well, I don't feel like worshiping. Your spirit needs to take the control and tell your spirit, your soul, shut up. We're, we're, we're going to worship. That's exactly what we're going to do in this moment. Well, I don't think that way. Well, you need to think that way. The spirit needs to be out front. You are a spiritual being. And, and this book is first and foremost a spiritual book about God's spiritual relationship with his uh, children. So uh, let, let's dive in and, and look at this story together in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Succoth in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damon. Saul, uh, this is the king of the Israelites, Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. Say Elah. The Valley of Eli. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley in between uh, them. Uh, I, I take 
my church and other churches even to, to Israel on about a every other year basis. And, and we go every January uh, or every other January. And, and the, I'd been to Israel many times when I first saw the Valley of Elah. And in fact, I was reading this passage in my devotional time in my one-year Bible, and I came across the Valley of Elah and that story. And a couple of days later, uh, we're on our way to the airport to take a couple of buses people back to the airport to get on planes and fly back to the United States. And I saw a sign, just a road sign that said, uh, turn left here, a couple of miles, Valley of Elah. And uh, typically, I wouldn't have known what that meant. I mean, it would just been another Hebrew name. I wouldn't, have, but I read it in the Bible, uh, you know, a day or two before. And so I, I looked at the guide who was sitting up there near me in the bus and said, "Hey, uh, Avi, is is that the Valley of Eli where David fought Goliath?" He said, "That's it." And uh, I, I said, "Let's go." And he said, no, we're on our way to the airport. We might miss the flight. I said, we'll catch it. Let's go. We cannot miss this. Turn the bus around. So we turned on a 30-point turn, two buses around on a two-lane road, and went back down this two-lane road, pulled off onto the shoulder, and unloaded a couple of buses full of people into this valley. And you can see it as clear as day, even, even to this day. You can see this hill over here and this hill over here. You can see a dry creek bed that runs through it full of gravel where water, you know, in the spring probably runs through this creek. Uh, we're walking through a garden, some farmer's garden, on, on the way to this creek bed, and people are picking cucumbers and peppers and tomatoes and eating them while we're walking. They're better there. It's, it's, it's holy dirt. And, and while we're uh, walking through this valley, we end up in this creek bed, and this Israel uh, Hebrew guide in Hebrew begins to read us this story in Hebrew. And, and while he's reading it, you have to know the Hebrew, by the way, to catch some of what he's saying, but the Hebrew is far more crass than the English translations. In fact, at one moment in, in, after he read it, I asked him, is that really what it says? And we, he showed me in the Hebrew. I mean, David was like, he, 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 that speech was something in the Hebrew. It's far, it's cleaned up in the English uh, from the way that David said it in that moment. People are picking up rocks and, you know, and putting them in their pocket. Maybe this is the one. And, and, and it's just this amazing moment. And, and we're in that valley and, and there is this place and there is this place. They're still named uh, the same places to this very day. So you see it with your mind's eye. And, and that's what's going on here. The Philistines are camping near Succoth, which is eight miles to the east of Gath, which is their capital city. I think we have a map that we can throw up here. 15 miles west of Bethlehem, which is the capital uh, of Israel in that day. What I want you to see on this map is it's right between two countries. It's on the border. And, and so uh, the, the Philistines take their army and they're moving into Israel's territory across the border. And, and Israel, King Saul, hears about this. is like, no. He gathers his troops together and he comes to the, to the edge of the valley and stops. And there is a stalemate happening with a big valley between these two armies. I, I want you to see the picture. And I think that Saul thought we're going to whip the Philistines just like we always whip the Philistines, but then he encounters something he's never seen before. Pick it up in verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion, say champion. Circle that word in, in, in your Bible if you would, because uh, we're going to come back to it in a minute. From Gath, say Gath. Now circle that word because we're going to come back to that. It's mentioned in the Scripture a few different places. Came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet 
tall. Now, right in your Bible, if you have an English translation like that, nine feet tall, right beside nine feet tall, six cubits and a span. Okay, that's literally the translation, six cubits and a span. He wore a bronze helmet. Brass is actually a better translation than bronze. Brass, all of it was brass. A bronze coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. So he's wearing a middle schooler, uh, uh, you know, on his shoulders as he's walking into this battle. Goliath is over nine feet tall. He's weighed down with armor, usually about 60 pounds of armor. He's big, he's bad, he's imposing, he is defiant, and he is disrespectful. The Bible calls him a champion. Now, out beside that word champion that you circled in your Bible, write this phrase, man in the middle. A man in the middle, not mirror. This is not a Michael Jackson song. This is the man in the middle is literally what the Hebrew says in this text. The man in the middle, not champion like you and I would think of champion. It's a man in the middle. Now, what a man in the middle is, it's a brand new form of warfare. Okay, and what they would do is each army would choose one champion or one man in the middle who would come out into the valley and would, they would fight one another, decreasing casually, et cetera, right? But whoever wins this battle, the whole army claims that victory. Brand new form. They'd never seen this form of battle or warfare before. But here's the point I want you to take right here. It's the same enemy. It's the same enemy they had been fighting over and over and over again, the Philistines. You say, why do you point that out? In my world, it feels on a daily basis like we're facing a new enemy. I don't know if you felt that way, but I feel that way on a regular basis, especially the last few years. It feels like we are going against a brand new enemy we have never seen before. But take heart, child of God, it's the same enemy. It's just a new form of warfare. And just because we haven't seen the warfare doesn't mean we don't know the enemy. It's the same enemy. And your enemy and your giants will come against you with a new form of warfare on a regular basis. And you cannot rely on yesterday's successes uh, for for today's battles. You have to determine day in and day out, I'm going to be victorious today. I'm going to walk in victory today. Why? Because your enemy is determining every day to take you out on a daily basis. And so uh, he shows up, he sees the giant, Saul, he doesn't know what to do. And spoiler alert, in case you don't know the story of David and Goliath, it's a couple thousand years old, but I'm going to spoil it for you. David wins. And if you didn't know that story, you had a couple thousand years to catch up. You're a little slow. It's not my fault that I ruined it for you, okay? So, so David beats Goliath, and, and, but, but here's what you need to know is after he beats Goliath, he starts chasing Philistines. And the rest of the story of David's life is him chasing one Philistine after another. What, what's the application? You don't just take down one giant in your life. The whole story of your life will be in, in victory of you taking one giant after another, after another, after another, and, and one one enemy after another in your life. And so look at verse 6. He wore brass uh, leg armor, carried a uh, brass javelin on his shoulder, the shaft of his spear. Now, right out beside this, there are six pieces of armor. That's important for you to know that but because the, the Hebrews point that out. And in Hebrew, you see that very clearly, six pieces of armor. It was as heavy as a, and as thick as a weaver's beam, 
tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. Now, right out beside 15 pounds, 600 shekels, okay? And I'm going to come back and explain to you why I'm having you write these down in, in, in just a moment. But, but one thing you need to know about warfare in that day is the Philistines did not wear armor like uh, is showing up in this particular battle. They didn't have it before that. There's no mention of it before that, uh, especially a helmet like that. It says, if he's over-defended, and overarmed, and it's as if he's trying to make a show of something. And, and, and the picture and the application there is this it was as if he knew he was supposed to play defense. Your enemy knows who you are, and he knows whose you are. And he is more aware of your capacity and, 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 the, and who lives within you than you are aware of your capacity and who lives in you. And he knows he's going to play defense against you if you will get it together and use all that is at your disposal. He knows that. But, but he, he, he puffs himself up and beats his chest and tries to make himself appear stronger than he is. And, and he's fear-mongering. And what, what the enemy does in your life and in my life is come shouting this war of words, what, trying to make us afraid. But he knows who, who you are, and he knows whose you are, and, and he knows that ultimately he's going to play uh, defense. And, and so he wants to make you believe that he's stronger than he is. Uh, another thing really interesting in this text is Goliath is only referred to as Goliath twice in, in this whole story. The, the other 27 times he's referred to as just the Philistine. Why? I think there's a point being made that, that what his name is is not nearly as important as whom he's from or what he represents. The same thing's true in your life. The giants that are attacking you is not really interesting in which giant they are. It's where they are from or who they are from or what they represent. By the way, in that valley that day when Yuval and, and Avi, our guides, were walking us through, I, I went over to Yuval and I said, Yuval, explain uh, all these measurements to me. And why, why are they measuring only some of the armor and not all of the armor? And why are these particular items listed in this way? And he looked at me and said, you are so American. And I said, thank you. I still happen to believe that's a great thing Amen. to be an American. It's, it, I've been all over the world. It's still the greatest country in the world. A and it's a great country. It makes a lousy God, but it's a great country. A and as I, I look at him and he says, hey, you're so American. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, uh, you want to know the measurements. When an American reads a story like this, they immediately go to what's a cubit. What's a, what's a shekel? You're trying to convert it all because you want to know the facts and you want to know the measurements. But in the Hebrew mind, we're not interested in the facts and the measurements. We want to know the picture and we want to know the story. And he said, Alex, the thing that would jump out of this text to a Hebrew boy or girl, the first thing that would jump out of it is that there's three sixes listed in this story. And he said, we would immediately know 666 there is a story being told, and a Hebrew mind would immediately go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where a serpent existed and a battle began to happen and a cosmic declaration was, was declared that, that the offspring of the woman would put his foot on the head of the serpent and would crush that. And in, in a moment, a Hebrew would read that story and go, oh, this is what this is about. In fact, when it talks about his armor, it, it says that it is scaled. That word is only in the Bible two times, and the first 
time is over in Genesis where it talks about this enemy. And, and, and by the way, David uh, slays him. He falls face down on his belly in the same way that a serpent would slither on the ground. And, and then David comes and crushes his head, cuts his head off. Every Hebrew hears this story and says, God is keeping his promises. It, it, all the promises that he made in the very beginning and at creation, this is what God is doing. And, and it's not important what his name is. It's important who he is from. And you and I have the very same enemy today. But, but the good news is, is this turning point in this confrontation that you and I will face on a regular basis, on a, sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes hour by hour, moment by moment basis, we have this man in the middle who is trying to attack us. But the good news is, is we have a champion and we have our man in the middle. His name is Jesus Christ, who stands in the middle and will defeat the enemy for us and on our behalf. And we will take his victory and walk in it in the same way that the Israelites that day took the victory of David. He will fight for you. You you have an enemy who comes to kill, to steal, and and to destroy. Only is what the text says. Only to kill, steal, and destroy. He's not coming to play tiddlywinks with you. He is coming to kill you. He is coming to take you out. He has an agenda, and it is clear what his agenda is. But Jesus Christ is our man in the middle. Look at verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt, right in your Bible beside that war of words. Spiritual warfare, if it is anything else, is a war of words. And you'll see that clearly in this text. He shouted a taunt across to the Israelites, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Uh, When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and and deeply shaken. Now that word defy, it it means to shame or to disgrace or to disgrace courage. It's trash talking. By the way, my mind goes to a a psalm where it says that David encouraged himself. David knew at some point that the responsibility fell on him to put courage back in himself. And as a child of God, listen to me, the responsibility lies on you to get up, take in the Word of God, and to put courage back in your heart on a daily basis. And, and, And so this trash talking is happening. And by the way, it's working They're shaking in their boots. They weren't ready. They were scared. They saw the giant. They ran the other way according to the Scripture. They were fine when that giant was over there, but now he's in their camp in front of them, and they ran away. Now jump to verse 16, if you would. For 40 days, every morning and every evening, the Philistine champion stuttered and strutted in front of the uh, Israelite army, right? So this war of words is happening as he's strutting and beating his chest and making a a show of, of his strength. 40 days. This thing lasted for 40 days. And we'll read in the text that it took a shepherd boy just a moment with a sling to to end the whole thing. 40 days. For 40 days, they sit in the tent. They see Goliath in in a dust valley with nothing to show for it for 40 days. Here's a question that I, I think that begs. What are you wasting? And what are you forfeiting? Because you're afraid to fight your giant. And to take your giant out. The Bible says this was the springtime. Do you know what that means? It means they were needed at home. They were needed in the harvest in in, in that moment. And yet they're out here wasting 40 days when everyone else needs them. And I want to declare to you today, you're needed. You're needed with your spouse. You're needed with your children. You're needed in your job. You're needed in your church. Some of you at home still watching online. Let me just say to you, you're needed in your church. 
You're needed. You need to come and serve. You need to come and take care of children. You need to come and greet people. You need to come and usher. You are needed. You're needed in this day. You're needed in this age. You are needed in this culture. What are you wasting and forfeiting because you are afraid to fight your enemy? Listen, David is going to take this thing on all day long. I love his response because his response is, nothing's going to stop me. Look at it. Verse 28. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyways? He, he, he demanded to his brother. He's trying to say, you, you, you can't do this, David. You're a boy. Uh, we, we're grown men. We, we'll handle this. This is no big deal. It's part of what he was saying to David. We'll handle this. It's no big deal. We do that to ourselves all the time, don't we? We do that to others. We allow others to do that to us, to say, hey, that's, that's no big deal. That lust thing. It's not a big deal. Every, everybody deals with that. One, one, one day you'll, you can tackle that. No big deal. I, I don't have a drinking problem. I, I can stop anytime I, I want. That addiction, I, I can get that under control. David knew this giant's not going away on its own that he was going to have to cut its head off. And, and they were willing to do nothing, to waste their lives with nothing to show for it. And David knew this could be the biggest battle of my entire life. I'm going to show up and I'm going to watch and see what God will do. Now, let's get to the heart of the story. This is where the whole story, the climax turns. This is like the, the fight scene at the end of the movie, right? Like the, the, the best part of every movie. I'm a drama freak. Like I love drama. In fact, in songs all the time, I'm like with our worship leaders, I said, hey, just, just do the bridges. Like, I, I'm really not all that interested in all those. Just go bridge to bridge to bridge. And they're like, you don't understand anything about music. And I'm like, I know, but I understand people. And, and, and so let's just, you know, let, let's do this. I love the fight scene. I love the climatic. In fact, there's a movie. If the movie doesn't have the fight scene or the battle, we don't even call it a movie in my house. It's a chick flip. <laughs> Rocky, Braveheart, all of them have this moment. And we're turning the corner into that climatic moment right here. And, and David has his giants. We have our giants. And, and maybe a question you should be asking at this point is what are giants? And, and, and giants are, are demons that you and I have to take out. We have to take them out because we are spiritual beings. And, and, and if we follow David's example, listen, uh, if we don't show up and we don't fight, they will enslave us. That's the fact. You cannot sit this one out. You either show up or you will walk enslaved. But you can have victory as the children of God. To, to slay the giants, we need to have three things, okay, or be three things. We need to be ready, willing, and able. Write, write those words down and let's talk about them one at a time. Okay, first thing we have to do is be ready. Say ready. First Samuel 17, look at verse 32. I love David's attitude here. Don't worry about the Philistines. David told Saul, I'll go fight them. I, I, I'll fight them. David was ready and he wasn't worried uh, about what anyone was going to do uh, uh, around him or what they, they could run and hide if they want to, but he was victorious because he was ready. Now look at Saul's response to David, okay? This is King Saul, verse 33. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You were only a boy, and he has been a man of war since his youth. 
But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats when a lion or a bear, you could write beast of the field next to that because beast of the field in in the Old Testament are always types and shadows of the demonic, always. The beast of the field. When the beast of the field comes to steal a lamb, do you see the type and shadow? That's exactly what the beast of the field and the giants want to do today is to come steal one of God's sheep, one of God's lambs, to come and take from the shepherd. The good news is we have a shepherd, right, who is a good shepherd. And he's with us and watching over us. I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and to bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the the armies of the living God. And, And what you see is here is that he's ready. You may not know this, Saul, but I'm a shepherd. Well, so what? He's a man of war. No, no, I defend the sheep on a regular basis. I take out beast of the field on a regular basis. So what? This guy is a killer. He's been trained. So have I. And I've been training for this my whole life was David's perspective. That all of my experiences have got me ready for this moment. In other words, God's commands are God's enablings. He's not going to let me face this giant today if he hasn't prepared me yesterday for, for this giant. Write this down. Write this down. That part of being ready is examining your past examining your past. We all have moments in our past where we've succeeded, and we all have moments where we've failed. And and those things have shaped you. Those things have made you vulnerable to certain giants in in this world. And we have to be honest about that. And as we're honest about that, we we walk in truth. Look, I'm honest about things that I was exposed to as a child. And, And so when I walk into battles, I know what I'm walking into. I have a prayer that I pray. Every hotel room I ever walk in, I'm in a lot of hotel rooms. Every single time I walk in, I pray. And I pray over that room. And I say, God, I don't know what happened in this room before. I don't know what's in this room today. But I rented it or it was rented for me, which makes it mine. And I belong to you. I belong to the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, this room belongs to the Holy Spirit of God. It is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. When I walk into this room, I want you to win every battle in this room. Whatever's on the linens, whatever's on the sheets, whatever has happened in there that did not honor you, it has to go in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I know what happens. I don't turn the TV on ever, never when I'm in a hotel room. Why? Because I know there's stuff on there that would be a problem for my heart. You say, well, well, that, that sounds like, you know, like you're not very mature. No, I'm the opposite of immature. I'm mature enough to know where an issue lies and where a battle happens, where where those things can take out the children of God. And so you got to be honest about those moments. You have to say on a regular basis, that's not good for my heart. So I will not watch that. I will not go there. I will not participate in that. Why? It's not because I'm afraid. It's because I want to win on a regular basis. And you have an enemy who is very sly. And because of the failures in your past, you have certain vulnerabilities. You have certain temptations. You, 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 there are certain giants that could take you out at a moment's notice if you're not careful and paying attention to the battle at hand. And you got to walk in repentance of old mindsets. You got to walk in repentance of old temptations. You got to walk in repentance and confession and, and forgiveness. It's a three-legged stool. One, one of my kids came down just yesterday, my 17-year-old son, and he said, man, I just had this spiritual warfare thing happen and, uh, to me in, in my bathroom. And he, here's what I felt like the enemy was saying to me. And he said, the enemies told me they're going to come back and kill me. And I said, son, look, they're, they're liars. Every time they come, they come with a lie. Now, let, let, let's just pray. And we got on our knees on the back porch. This is yesterday morning. And, and a 17-year-old boy who is a state champion as a junior in two track events, and, and he is crying, saying, look, this, this war is real. 
And, and I said, son, what, what, we're going to pray a three-legged stool. And it's a three-legged stool every time. It's, it's repentance, confession, and forgiveness. And if we'll stand on that stool of repenting and turning away from the things uh, uh, of this world and our enemy, and we will confess and say the same thing about it that God says about it, and then we will walk with forgiveness towards those who harm us and those who hurt us, then we will stay clean before the Lord. Listen, we have to be honest, but it's how we view our past that's important. There are moments where your worship was amazing. There are moments when your prayer life was amazing. There were moments where you felt like God was using you in a great way. How you view all of that and all of that, win or lose, was a prelude to the day you have today to get you ready for the day that you have today. And I would encourage you to journal as a spiritual discipline in your life. And all of the men just checked out. And let me just say to you, I get it. I hate it too. What I use is a five-year journal. What that means is on each given day, I can write five years worth of material on one page. So this makes me feel like a winner because I write two or three lines. But I can see what I was thinking one year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago on that one page. And let me tell you why this is so crucial. Because you, especially when you have a victory, you need to journal it. Because what's true for all of us is that your enemy and my enemy, every moment we walk into a battle, he wants us to forget every victory that God has ever given us. And he wants us to remember, and he'll bring it front and center like a highlight reel of every failure we've ever had. And part of walking in victory is examining the past. What has God saved you from before? What what has God rescued you, you, you from before? You need to know about facing your giants. Not only has God equipped you, he has deemed you worthy to face that giant. Or he wouldn't let it in the ring with you. He deemed you worthy to face that giant. Beyond that, your giant and your enemy has deemed you worthy of his effort, energy, and time to attack you. Why? I don't think he knows the future, but I think he senses potential. He knows the potential that is in you as the child of God. And the enemy and your heavenly father have deemed you worthy of this attack. First Peter tells us that it's a privilege to be attacked for our faith. Privilege. David was ready, but he needed to be more than that. Number two, he needed to be willing. What, what does it mean to be willing? Being willing, if, if being ready means examining your past, being willing means trusting God for your future. Look at verse 37. The, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. He, he, earlier in the scripture, it says each day, Goliath would come out and taunt them during their morning prayers, their Shema. The, the, they're, they're praying the Shema on a regular basis. And, and look at what happens. This, this story, it, we call it the story of David and Goliath, but what I want to point out to you is it could have easily been called the story of Goliath and Saul. Saul was the king. And Saul had his chances, right? In fact, he had 40 days of chances to fight this giant, to take this giant out. But he sat down. And when he sat down, David stood up. When he ran, David ran forward. It's the difference between Saul's and and David's. And if you want to face the giants in your life, you you want to be bold, you got to be willing to move out in faith. David learned something in those private moments tending those sheep. He wasn't alone in those moments. He, he was becoming intimate with his heavenly father. And it wasn't because he was physically strong. He was a boy. 
And, and he was young. He was bold because God was with him and in him. Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to trust God for victory in, in your future? That's the question you need to ask yourself is, do I really trust God? Do I, do I really trust him? The enemy wants nothing more than, than for you to believe and, and to swallow the lies that he's been selling you for you to doubt who you are, for you to doubt who God is, he'll tell you this giant is too big. Remember, it's a war of words. What are you facing today? It's a war of words, his lies versus God's truth. That's his strategy, to belittle and to taunt. And you know it's working when the body of Christ is fighting one another. In this story, brother versus brother, right? They're, they're, They're fighting one another. David shows we need to be ready, we need to be willing, and here's the third one, we we, we need to be able. Being able means that you are armed, and not just armed, but you are armed now. We have to be ready to fight anywhere at any time. He's not going to wait until you're strapped up and fully armored and fully ready for battle to attack you. In fact, he's the exact opposite of that. He'll wait till you don't have any armor on, and you're at your lowest, and you're down. Which is shrewd, by the way. How many, every movie we watch, when, when there's an attack scene or whatever, this guy, you know, is, being, is attacking this girl and somebody comes to the rescue and attacks that guy, he hits him one time, he falls down, and then he goes and hugs the girl. What does every one of us who's shrewd think at that moment? Don't hug her at this time. Kick his teeth out while he's on the ground. He's going to get back up, right? It's so predictable in every battle scene and every movie we've ever watched. But, but, but the enemy, your enemy, he is shrewd. And while you are down, he will come after you. While you think it's a hug, he will stab you in the kidney. He, he, he will come after you over and over and over again. Saul tried to give him his armor. David said, I can't wear this. this I'm not nimble and flexible in this. This is not my armor. What's the application? Walk in your gifting. You don't need to walk in somebody else's gifting. Walk in your gifting. Look at verse 40. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them in his shepherd bag. Sometimes people ask me, why did he pick up five stones? Does he not trust in God with one stone? You know, you keep reading this text and and you find out that Goliath had four brothers. And maybe David knew that. I I don't think it was a lack of trust. I think it was a strategy. He didn't know if the Philistines were going to run at him when he killed that giant or they were going to run away. But, but, but he walked into this trusting God. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. And, and, and Goliath used what? He used brass. Everything on him was brass. Brass is a type and shadow of sin and judgment. He's covered in sin and judgment. Not only that, he forged all those items. Brass and, and uh, bronze are all forged by man. Uh, the, the, the wooden staff and the leather sling and the things that David had in his hand are forged by God. God made those things. There's an application there to our lives that we use God's weapons, we, not our own strategy. And God's strategy always involves God's Word. One time in that valley, Yuval, our guide, took out a sling and showed us how to do it. And he spun it around his head and just flung the rock. The rock went out of sight. On another trip, we we clocked that at 240 miles an hour coming out of that sling. Every Israeli soldier today serves compulsory two two years. Every kid, boy and girl. That's why it's still the safest nation in the world, right? Because you'll encounter a 17-year-old girl and she will take you out. And they all know what they're doing, and they all still carry to this day symbolically a sling in their pouch all the way back to David. But, but, but do you remember when Jesus went face to face with the devil? 
And at every front and every encounter, he said, it is written. He had an it is written in his heart, in his mind, and on the tip of his tongue for that encounter and for that moment that he was about to face. It, it is written. That, that, the word about that sling says it was on his hand, not in his hand, but on his hand. They would tie it around their hand. It was always on them. And, and, and the picture of, that we pick up in Jesus fighting this very same enemy is that it was always in his heart. The word of God was always there, ready like a sling that was on the hand of a soldier, ready to use the strategy of God which always involves the Word of God in our lives. Now, when we look at this strategy and we look at this text, you see that God shows up time and time again, and He shows up time and time again when we use His strategy. David runs to meet this giant, and he gives this speech. This speech is amazing, by the way. I mean, it's amazing. When my, when my children were little, babies, when they were babies, like two years, two, two and a half years old, I taught them this speech. And one time Meredith came home and our oldest was like two and a half years old. She as cute as can be and just golden skin and golden curly hair. And she's standing there in her little linen dress on the kitchen counter. And she walks in, Meredith walks in the kitchen and she says, hey, mommy, watch this. And she looks and she goes like this, you, you come to me with a spear and a sword and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. And she's waiting on me to clap, you know, and I'm clapping for her. And, and she finishes, and, and she, you know, she says, Mommy, was that good? And Meredith says, That's good, honey. And, and she's looking at me like, You're crazy uh, to, to, to teach this baby this. But it got even better because when this two and a half year old girl then looked across the kitchen and said, And I will cut your head off, and I will feed your carcass to the beast of the field and the birds of the air. And she begins to give this. Meredith looks at me and is like, You are demented. Why are you teaching a two-and-a-half-year-old girl this Bible verse and this speech? And what's the application? I said, I'm tell you the application. One day a boy is coming. <laughs> and she will be able to say, you're coming to me with a spear and a sword and a javelin, but I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. You're not even close. <laughs> Amazing speech that David gives. Look at it. You come to me with a spear, a sword, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword or a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Here's one thing I want you to see in this text. The whole battle took just a moment, just a second. The, the battle's not even half as long as the speech. Why? It's a war of words. And your enemy is coming to you in your heart and in your mind with words that don't line up with the very word of God, of who you are and, and whose you are. The Lord will be the source of your victory. And Jesus is our man in the middle. In fact, he hung between two thieves on a cross in order to buy that victory for, for you and for me. And, and, and church, I, I just, I don't know where you stand on all of this today, but, but I, I, in our culture, we got to go back to the truth. And the word has to be in the driver's seat. 
And what's happened to so many of our brothers and sisters is, is they have reason and they have tradition and they have what kindness or they have politics or they have uh, this opinion or that opinion. And what's happened is they put all of those things in the driver's seat. The word is still on the bus. It's the reason it still sounds okay. But, but, but when the word is not in the driver's seat, there will be a fork in the road. And we got to go back to the truth. And the truth is, is that we are spiritual beings. And our battle is not physical, it's spiritual. And we are facing spiritual giants today. And it feels like it's new warfare, but it's not. And the strategy is still the same, that the church has employed for centuries and centuries and centuries. But the enemy is really sly. And he has made it unkind to attack him and our culture. All the while, he's attacking us. And we're afraid to attack him back. And we don't need to be afraid. We have a man in the middle, our champion. His name is Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. And he wants to fight your battles. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. This is only for the children of God. Apart from a relationship with Jesus, you, you, you can't participate in this prayer that I'm about to pray. And if you need a relationship with Jesus, I'll hang around here at the front in between services. And I'll talk to you and I would love to help you into a relationship with Jesus. But for those of you who do have a relationship with Jesus and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you're sick and tired of being the whipping child, you're sick and tired of, of doing well, doing well, do, oh, there it is again, I fell again. You, you, you're sick and tired of those kind of losses in the spiritual realm. I want to invite you to pray with me. In fact, if you want to pray with me, would you just stand to your feet all across the room? Even if you're watching online, just stand to your feet unless you're driving a car. Just pull over on the side of the road if you're driving. And I just want you to hold your hands like this as a symbol to I'm surrendering. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's not magic, but it's warfare. And I want you just to repeat after me, but I don't want you just to repeat words. I want you to pray to your heavenly Father. And I want you in some instances to make a declaration to your enemy about who you are and whose you are. And so with your eyes closed, your hearts open, your hands out, would you repeat after me and say, as God, as my eternal witness, my Savior, my judge, I affirm that I am a child of God who has been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. I confess him as my Lord and my Savior, as one completely acknowledging and accepting the finished work of Christ on the cross for my redemption. I now renounce all ancestral and genetic ties as back as many generations of you, as you have to go, God, on both sides of my family. I have through the Lord Jesus Christ's own shed blood been redeemed and delivered from the powers of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God. 
Therefore, I now cancel out and nullify all demonic power or effect that has been passed down to me by my ancestors. I nullify all ancestral demons, their networks, and any other weapons Satan may use against me. The Lord Jesus Christ came and became accursed for me by dying on a tree. I use the authority that is found in him to cancel every curse that has been placed on me with or without my knowledge as God's child covered by the precious blood of Jesus I cancel I renounce I sever I nullify every agreement that I've made with the enemy any powers or gifts or workings in me that are not of you or pleasing to you God I renounce I confess that I totally belong to the Lord Jesus Christ I now sit with him in heavenly places I give myself eternally and completely over to the Lord Jesus Christ it's my desire that my Lord Jesus will have total control over my life. All these things I say and I do in the precious name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by his absolute power and authority over all things, all rulers, all authorities, all principalities and powers with a childlike faith I thank you that it is done in Jesus' name. And together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for victory?